0: Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. Today, I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Mr. Daniel Halverson. Thanks for being with me today. Looking forward to it, man. Yeah. So we're going to tackle the uh, the topic of over the weekend, the big hot button on the Silicon Valley Bank. And this entire episode, we're recording it here Monday afternoon at 1.30. A lot of dust has settled. We got a lot to talk about. But we just felt like it was super imperative to get this out really to our listeners and, and to the audience that the future audience we're looking to have because there's a lot of narrative behind this that's you know not being told also narrative that that is kind of being skewed a little bit but more importantly like what's the impact of this hey don't forget to check us out we were a recent guest on the Chrisman Commentary with Robbie Chrisman we broke down what's going on in the economy right now future forecast it was a wonderful opportunity to be on his show super excited about it it drops on March 16th and you can find that at the Chrisman Commentary on Apple Podcast and Spotify check that episode out and you know before we start start the show, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be the I told you so kind of guy, but I do think I think it might have been episode eight you and Alex and I sat in this room and you know I know I wish Alex could be here with us today's traveling, but you and Alex and I sat here and we said, hey, listen, the Federal Reserve is going to keep raising these interest rates till they break something. and we broke down the three things we thought they were going to break. First one we thought would have been the European Central Bank, uh, the the stock market, or the monetary banking system of the United States. And here we are today for the second largest collapse in the banking history of the United States with the Silicon Valley Bank. And and we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but I do think this offers some pause for the Federal Reserve. And you know, it's funny, if you're listening to our our Monday podcast that we dropped today, you know, you got Daniel there at the very end of that lending update saying, hey, I thought you meant rates were gonna get better. And we were talking about holding on, but we had no idea that this was gonna unravel in the manner in which it did. So let's start with breaking it down. Um, And and Daniel, again, thanks for being on the show today. It's great Yeah, man,
1: I didn't realize it was gonna
0: be so quickly after our, our last podcast, but breaking (laughs) news. Breaking news. We're back. So, you know, let's start with a little bit how banks work and deposits work. Um, I think this is interesting because, you know, there's this asset, uh, excuse me, there's this notion that when you make a deposit that the money's there, but we know that banks treat deposits like a liability. They have to make money on the money you put in there and and the banks have to pay you money on that money. So there's, there's a theology that from a, from a depositor that if I put money in the bank, it should be there, Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that most consumers uh, would would think that that's probably the single most important aspect of what bank they pick is that their money's going to be there when they need it.
0: Yeah, super important. And so, you know, the the capital reserve requirement uh, fluctuates based on your assets and the valuation of your assets. But for the intent of this podcast, let's just kind of label it as a ten percent requirement because that's usually where most lenders or you know banks fall. So if you put money into a bank the bank only has to keep 10% of that cash on hand, if you may. They're looking to lend the other 90% of that money out, typically in like a small business loan, car loan, mortgage loan, etc. you get the point. But when mortgage rates in 2020 and 2021, we're in the twos and the low threes. There's not a lot of people lining up at the bank store to take advantage of some of those six and a half. I mean, there are people doing it, but there's not nearly the $4 trillion worth of loans that there was during that time. So the banks have to look for alternative ways to go source out and make money. And what the bank's trying to do is say, listen, Daniel, I'm gonna pay you money, but I wanna make more money on the other side of this transaction or investment that I'm doing to offset what I'm paying you and make a little bit of spread there. And I think there's this idea that banks make all of this money. The spread's pretty thin. Um, they just do it over a large amount of funds to make it bigger than, than you know, really what the spread shows. So let's just kind of use an example here that, you know, if you have a $10,000 deposit the bank's going to lend out $9,000. Correct. Yep. yep. They're going to keep $1,000 out of hand and they're going to take that 9000 and they're going to go try to find another investment if I'm paying you a half a percent or let's just use 1%. If I'm paying you 1% on that $10,000, that's 100 bucks. I need to take that $9,000 and I need to go find a way to make more than $100 so that I can keep the differential as the bank. Does that make sense? Exactly correct, yes. So that's what we're doing here. So, um... And for this, for this portion of the conversation, let's quickly define what a run on a bank is. We haven't seen this since the 30s, but let's quickly define it. You want to take a minute to talk about that?
1: Well, I mean, more or less, it's when a lot of people want their money all at once. So um, when you say run on a bank, that would be a large percentage of the customers calling and saying, hey, uh, I'm a little bit worried about my deposits. I need my <laughs> yeah. money all back at once. And like you talked about, well, the bank, Keeps ten percent of that money, and they invest the rest of it. Correct. So, uh, if you've got a large number of of people and businesses asking for their money back, they don't keep that money. They have to lend it out to make a return, so that they can be profitable. And what uh, you know, one thing I think is important to mention is you talk about you know twenty 2020, twenty twenty one, even going back further than that. The you know the zero interest rate policy. A lot of these banks are having to go chase yield, you know, wherever they can find Correct. it. Um, so, you know, you talk about mortgage rates, you know, being low, people aren't doing mortgages anymore, you know, people aren't aren't um, in the same volume going and getting mortgages anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's something, you know, maybe we'll circle back to it a little bit further in the podcast, but I, but the immediate thing that I thought of is, you know, these banks are having to go and chase yield at very low interest rates. And then we'll talk about this, obviously, but the Fed's raising interest rates, too quick, too fast, you know, has has created an issue with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in this case, Silicon Valley Bank going out and trying to invest that money in a bond portfolio that come to find out now that rates are much higher, really wasn't worth very much. Um,
0: Yeah, so let's set the stage a little bit. So we got a bank run, we know that 10% of that money sitting there, you've got over 35,000 depositors, a good portion of them saying, "I, I want my money back. They clearly don't have it. We've seen pictures of the Brinks trucks having to pull up to Silicon Valley Bank, you know, early Friday morning to just deposit more cash because it wasn't there. And so what happens is in today's social media world and all the communication channels we have, it doesn't take a long time for that pandemonium to just explode. And here we go. And so when you think about the 30s and the run on the banks, you know, for our audience... I don't know who, I don't know a single person that lived through that, not in my lifetime. I don't know anybody that's that's lived through that. You know, both my grandparents, both sets have have passed away and they would tell me about it during that time. But the reality is this, imagine going to the bank and saying, hey, Daniel, you're the you're the bank teller, bank president, bank whatever. I would like to get all of my money out. And for those that have seen It's a Wonderful Life, you know, George, in this example of what happens, we actually watched it this morning before the podcast, but it was one of those things where to go, well, Daniel, I would love to give you your money, but Charlie, I gave him money to build a house and Charlie, our producer, hasn't paid me back for the house yet. So because I haven't gotten Charlie's mortgage payment, you know, I can't pay you the deposits that you want to get out. And that's essentially a smaller version of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, you know, we'll talk about that. Um, But that's how a run on the bank happens is everybody wants their money all at once. And there's not enough there to fulfill those requests. And now we have a run on the bank. So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about Silicon Valley Bank. This is not a shabby bank, by the way. Upon being seized by by the FDIC, they had over 209 billion with a B worth of assets. This is a large regional bank. Matter of fact, they were so big that Forbes said they were the number one bank in 2022 and uh, of November, 2022. What's interesting is we're gonna put the link here. You should go in there. Forbes has redacted that article and completely fixed that within a matter of seconds, which you never get something done that quickly. Real-time adjustments. Real-time adjustments (laughs) by the media on this one. But they were also ranked as the 16th largest bank in the country. So, you know, when you think about that, we're not dealing with just a small regional bank. Yes, they're a regional bank, but not a small one by any means. And they were created during the really, the silicone boom that happened in the the 90s, right? So they were founded there and, and have grown since then. And they're kind of Being tabbed in today's world as a tech haven, you know, they had a large customer client base that was basically a lot of tech companies, but these weren't small companies either. I mean, we're going to talk about them later on the show, but there were some large organizations that were very profitable. And to your point, they also housed their payroll inside this bank. So we're not just talking about just depositors like you and I, but large companies kept their cash assets there because it was a tech driven bank, you know, it's started up by a tech boom. And so they put their money in this safe haven of this bank. And that's where they would control their payroll, which also leads to one of the issues that happened here as well. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what happened last week, and we talk about something that unfolded. this happened in 72 hour window. So on March eighth. You know, the, the CEO and the CFO and the CAO, they get a phone call from Moody Analytics. And Moody Analytics is a, a large rating system for stock that's publicly traded. You get ratings anywhere from AAA to B, and these ratings indicate how safe of a company you are and how soluble of a company you are, and then how sound you are for the general public to invest in. So you can subscribe to Moody's, they give you these ratings. Oftentimes, if you're part of a large platform, you'll see the Moody rating on the side. And it makes you feel better as a potential buyer of a stock to turn around and say, I'm comfortable in this company, because Moody has looked at all their assets and looked at their balance sheet, feel pretty good about their financials when I invest in this, because no one wants to invest in a stock that's going to fail, bottom line. So they use Moody's as kind of a, a, how do you call it, like a, a, a barometer of safeness, right? So one of the things in 2008 that the administration did during that time was when they said hey banks banking system you now can report and and show that your 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 losses if you may certain ones don't have to be reported because of certain requirements so let's talk briefly about that cuz this is kind of what went under the radar and this is what got exposed pretty quickly so there's two types of assets there's available for sale and then there's held to maturity so do you want to take a minute to explain what held to maturity means
1: yeah. So, I mean, if you buy X amount of 10-year treasuries, uh, those you know, those bonds ultimately mature in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in, a, in a scenario where maybe you buy a 10-year treasury at 2% and now the 10-year's at 4%, theoretically, if you went to market and sold that today, you would lose money because somebody could get a higher interest rate buying one today. They don't need the one that you're offering a 2% return on. Um, so held to maturity just basically means that um, I don't have to report the actual value of that on my balance sheet for what it is if I were to sell it right now because Today. there's a yep. presumption that I'm going to hold that until maturity Right. Um, where you know, it, essentially that allows banks to not have to show, like I mentioned, a loss on their balance sheet uh, in an event like this where maybe interest rates have gone up uh, and, that, and that asset is not worth as much
0: uh, as it would have been when they bought it. Yeah. So essentially one of the ways that they were using the 90% of the funds of the deposits to make money because they couldn't lend it out because there wasn't that many people wanting to get mortgages or car loans at this time is, Hey, listen, we're going to go buy bonds and we're going to speculate when buying these bonds that we're going to hold them to maturity. And the cool part about a bond or a note, when you hold it to maturity, you're guaranteed to get back what you put into it. So if I invest, you know, $100,000 in a note, if I hold it for 10 years, I'm going to get it back. I just might not get as much interest on it that I'm expecting to get based on what the maturity looks like at that time, what rates look like at that time. But the old financial principle is the shorter the risk, the shorter the return, the longer the risk, the greater the return. Well, to your point, as the Federal Reserve has been essentially just Pounding these interest rates over the last seven months. That's why you heard us in that podcast say they're going to keep going until they break something because raising rates that fast is going to put tremendous pressure on bondholders that previously bought bonds expecting a 10 year rate of return on there, but it's devaluing them super quickly in these portfolios. And so there's a uh, there's this theology that they were holding almost $98 billion, what's a B, almost $100 billion in these hold to market um, transactions that you're describing here, these investments, these held markets, they had $100 billion. And then they had this available for sale. And available for sale means that you can sell at anytime. It's exactly what it says. So if I buy this, but I market, you know, available for sale at Anytime when I need to liquidate, I can sell it, but I'm going to sell it at the current market rate. It's, it's, it's matched, it's marked to market at that time. So whatever the going price is, that's what I get. And if it's a loss, it's a loss. If it's a gain, it's a gain. But you have to report those to the balance sheet. You cannot let those go off and not be reported um, based on the 2008 CFPB requirements in there. So that's important here because they were holding about 23. Point, excuse me, $27.3 billion in that available for sale. So Moody's makes the call. And says, hey, listen, we're about to downgrade your portfolio and downgrade your company and here's why. You have tremendous losses that you're not having to report, but we see them. And it's an issue. We want to make sure the average Joe knows that. So the CEO in a panic says, okay, listen, don't want that to happen because if you do that, our stock's going to go down and now we can't raise more money, raise more capital because who wants to buy a stock that's been downgraded and is kind of spiraling down? So he makes a trip to Goldman Sachs in New York, sits down and says, hey, what do we have to do? And Goldman Sachs says, you got to liquidate some of these available for sales. And they did just that. And when they did, they took a $2 billion loss. But they said, that's recoverable. We can come back from that as long as we can get some capital raised by some investors. Now, in the meantime, there's a couple things looming in the background that we're starting to see come out. Some of that is the availability of shorts that were put on this stock back in February. There's a lot of people that put tremendous amount of shorts on this stock, meaning they're shorting the stock thinking it's going to go down, creating pressure on that company. While in the same time, the CEO is trying to essentially hold it all together and raise more assets. And in doing such, you would go to the, it's called a capital call. You would go to the current group of owners. By the way, they had significant owners. They had some big time owners of the stock. They would go to them and say, hey, Daniel, I need you to come up with $500 million to help save our bank. And because of that, here's what we're going to reward you with, right? They had multiple people in the fire out there trying to put this together. The challenge was you're asking someone to review all of your financials in a 24 hour window to make a $500 million investment. I, I mean, is that something you're willing to take on? Yeah, that would that would be a difficult sell. Yeah, I don't care how many people you got in the equation. I don't think I could get that kind of comfortability of $500 million in a 24 hour sell to make that happen. The other challenge was they couldn't get an NDA signed by all these people. And that's a non-disclosure agreement. And when you're talking these kind of finances, you kind of want to keep this hush-hush under the radar because pandemonium may leak out. Worst case scenario is if any of those individuals that are shorting your stock get wind of this, well, what are they going to do? They're going to put it out there for the public to hear about it. Why? Because they want that stock price to tumble. Yep, absolutely. And there's some speculation that's what happened. So they sold this with a $2 billion loss. They couldn't maintain the capital call. And then all of a sudden, rumors get out. Rumor gets out, they're not solving. Rumor gets out, there's issues over there. So then the bank run starts. And ironically, there are people that took to Twitter that said, hey, listen, we're getting word that they're underfunded. They no longer have this money. If you have deposits at SVB, you might want to go get them. And that's when we started seeing the pictures of the California banking system with people wrapped around the doors, the Brinks trucks pulling up. And there's other regional banks that were suffering for this as well, because the general public starts thinking, well, wait a minute, if they're not solvent, is this bank solvent or that bank solvent? We're seeing all of these people standing in line on a Friday and a Saturday, trying to get their money out. So- the concern stems from the FDIC insurance, right? And you want to take a minute to explain what the FDIC insurance is on an account, any account you have at any bank.
1: Yeah, the FDIC insures two hundred fifty thousand dollars of whatever you've got in an account, and it's it's per uh, I believe it's per person, mm-hmm. um, per institution. So mm-hmm. if you have five bank accounts uh, at at an institution and you're the only owner on those accounts, you don't have one point two five million dollars worth of d- protected deposits. Correct. You've got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of protected deposits. You'd have to go to five separate institutions to get two hundred fifty thousand per institution, essentially. Um, so, you know, so basically that is what historically what what the FDIC will ensure of your total balances that you carry in an account.
0: Yeah. And at so a bank. maybe someone's going, oh, hey, woe is me. You got 250 grand in an account. Big deal. It must be nice. The reality is these were payroll accounts as well, going back to what we we're discussing. So this applies to anyone. Like if you're employed by one of these companies, ZipRecruiter, Roku, Venmo, the Pinterest, the list goes on and, on and on. These are big name companies. Which by the way are making money. These aren't like lost leaders. They're making money in their sector. They're not posting losses. Correct. So this isn't the rich getting richer or the rich getting bailed out. These are companies that are saying, listen, we employ thousands of people. We need to make sure that we make payroll by Monday and Tuesday morning for these individuals because they've got bills to pay. They've got mortgages. They've got car notes. They got mouths to feed. I mean, think about the ripple effect of this that's kind of looming Friday afternoon when the market closes. And so we've got pandemonium happen. So the FDIC steps in midday, shuts down the bank, takes it over, says no more deposits are going to be withdrawn. No one worry about anything. We're going to put a plan together. So they had all weekend to kind of try to figure out what they were going to do. Meantime, everybody's on pins and needles. The market's not open. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. The interesting thing with this is I guess Sunday evening around 6 or 630, we get an announcement that the FDIC says what to the general public, Daniel?
1: basically they're going to make it make
0: everyone whole so, <laughs> so we're going to go from 250 limit to a, yep. a billions of dollars of limit at this point now what's interesting to me is where's that money coming from Uh, That would be coming from the printing press. (laughs) Yeah. Known down the street (laughs) is the U.S. Treasury Department also taking part with the Federal Reserve. So we just got done with a speech um, from the administration saying the taxpayers will bear no burden of this. I think that's what I heard. Is that correct? Yes, that was what they said. So this will be interesting to watch because this will show up on the campaign trail. This will show up. uh, This is going to be a tough act to follow. This is going to be very tough. But the reality is there's a couple of other things they did. They said that they're going to do a bank term funding program. And the bank term funding program is essentially a program that says, hey, listen, if you have assets on the book, such as what we just described, those held to maturity assets, and they're losing money right now, or the available for sale is losing money, that the Federal Reserve will buy those from you at face value, meaning what you paid for them, because they don't want any other bank to be in the position that SVB is in. So it poses the question, how on earth did the FDIC, who monitors all the banks, not see this in the financials. That's really where it bears the question. I think we were describing it earlier, you know, there's certain things under the Frank Dodd Act, they don't have to report anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that maybe a little off topic, but something that, um, you know, just speculating, you know, when the bank, let's say, you know, banks want to pay you 2% on your money to keep your money in checking Mm -hmm. or money market or something. Well, if I can go out and get a six month treasury bill for, you know, almost 5%, why would I keep my money at the bank? So Correct. in situations where the interest rates are going up this quickly, you've also got depositors taking their money out of the bank, going and putting it in other alternative investments where they can get a higher return. That that for banks means less money that they can lend out. So it's kind of just perpetuating the
0: problem. And thus applying more pressure to that bank run situation, right? Correct. Yeah. At an even further base. You got the people that are saying, I mean, think about it. You know, a lot. everybody wants to get paid more on their money sitting at the bank there's multiple ways to get that done. But a lot of banks are saying, Hey, listen, if we're going to pay you 3% on your money, we've got to go yield four and a half, five somewhere else, right? We've got to do that in bulk. And to your point, you could get a 90 day treasury, which is considered the most risk free investment. We did a whole episode on that for 5% right now. APY, 5%. So to your point, if, well, if I can make 2% more over here than what I'm getting at the bank, I'm just gonna pull my money out and go do it. And I'm gonna do it electronically. I don't even have to show up at the window and do it. I'll just do it electronically and buy it through the US Treasury, you know, .gov or whatever the website is, Treasury Direct. The reality is there's a lot of ways to do that. And that's also applying pressure to the banking system. Yep, absolutely. So, when we take a look at this, you know, what what does this mean? You know, what does this mean for us moving forward as an industry and what type of impact do we see? Because I think, you know, I consider you the rate expert on the show here. What What is transposing the rates over the last really, let's say 36 hours? Well, for, from a mortgage standpoint, you've seen considerable
1: improvement in, in mortgage rates. Um, the 10 year was at basically at 4% mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday of last week, and it's below 3.5% now, which has fallen off a cliff is, you know, that kind of a movement in that short time frame? Um, but you know, mortgage rates, are, mortgage bonds are a safe haven. So if you get something like this and you've got fear and you've got uncertainty, that generally benefits mortgage rates because it's a safe haven. Now you've got a lack of, uh, of trust in the banking system. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that are, that are worried about that. I'm sure there's tons of, of people that have, have reached out to their banks, uh, since that happened to figure out, can I get my money? Is everything okay? How does sure. this impact me? And And for most, People and most banking institutions, it's not something that's a concern, right? But you know, you see it happen, and now it's it's on it's on the forefront of everybody's mind. You know, you turn on any news channel, especially you know, CN, CNBC or something that's financial related. I mean, this is what they're going to talk about all day long, all day. Um, so, mortgage rates are the beneficiary of that, at least in the short term. I, I think that you know, you look longer term now, and and this is something that that longer term could be more inflation because you've got to, you've got to print that money. And, you know, it's, it's not fair to the people that had money there at that bank necessarily for them to just lose that money.
0: Yeah, I would agree. We're not Uh, bailing out people here. We're helping the general consumer and the public here. Correct. They needed that help. Correct. 100% agree with You
1: know, so, so it's not, but but you know the thing that people don't think about when you when you put your money to bank, you're more or less you're kind of investing in that bank,
0: hundred uh, percent.
1: And this was real money that they lost, so that money has to be, then be printed to mm-hmm. make these people whole again. It's not like you can just go in and get the money from Silicon Valley Bank and pass it around. They've already lost that money in in, a, in investments that uh, were not lucrative as interest rates went up. <laughs> so long term. You, you're probably exacerbating, you know, the inflation mm-hmm. situation. I think short-term mortgage rates are the beneficiary because of the uncertainty, but now it also turns to: is this a event that causes the Fed to pivot? You know, yep. Uh, there was there was speculation, after, especially after Powell went on his speaking tour last week and <laughs> uh, just kind of kind of buried the market with his his doubling down on inflation um you know it went from well we think 25 basis points to maybe it's going to be 50 there were either even some thinking maybe we' get a 75 basis point rate hike uh, Now I think that they've got a, a difficult decision to make because they've mm-hmm. got to weigh this into do we really go and increase interest rates again? Um,
0: And this is so close to the announcement for the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee. We're talking next week week on Tuesday and Wednesday. So this is so close that the pain is so recent. You have to worry about shocking the system that much further. I mean, over the course of what, the last nine days, we've seen 300 basis points, you know, increase. Like that's a lot to pump into the system to kind of not see it all the way through. And what is it going to look like?
1: Yeah. And and I think that, I don't know that the market really is going to care anymore about tomorrow's CPI, (laughs) tomorrow's (laughs) consumer price index. Right. You know, that would be prior to this, that would be something that all eyes would be on that. Sure. In terms of moving the market, I think at this point, um, you know, there's so much uncertainty that I don't think that a little difference in inflation is going to move the market very much. But it would be curious to see if you do get less than expected inflation, I mean at that point if you're the feds can you really make an argument to increase interest rates when Burn. when you've got inflation that's that's moderating and you've also got this big issue that you've created with the significant hikes in interest rates over such a
0: short period of time. Right. You know, what happened with the Federal Reserve is interesting because a lot of people refer to what they were doing as a dangerous game of poker because, you know, a lot believe that they were bluffing. Janet Yellen, uh, part of the Treasury, also was saying, listen, this is transitory inflation. It's not a big deal. Then it was a big deal. And I think even on Friday, she said, we're not bailing out a company and that the banking system's completely solvent. There's nothing to worry about. And then Sunday night, they didn't really, it was a quasi bailout, but it was still a bailout anyway, you look at it. Now, the other thing is that the stockholders, we aren't even talking about the stockholders, wiped out completely. It didn't matter. There's no bailing out the stockholders. And a lot of those stockholders, shareholders, if you may, those were pretty wealthy individuals. And I'm not saying all their wealth was wiped out, but I'm saying if you had money in this company, it's gone effectively right now in the form of investing in them outside of a deposit, it's gone, not coming back. And so when I look at that, I think that's a huge differential because, you know, I've heard people this morning say, oh, just, I guess here we are, just bail the rich out again. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's what I'm trying to say here. There's, there's nothing detrimental to what they do. We're just going to bail them out. It's all reward, no risk. And the reality is, you know, I think helping the depositors was a must. That wasn't really bailing out the rich as much as it was helping everybody that had money at that bank, but you definitely didn't bail out the shareholders. Well, and think about, you know, I think you
1: said Shopify was a customer of Silicon Valley. Shopify, yeah, was
0: one of their larger customers. So, so think about if Shopify
1: can't get their money back, they can't pay any of their employees.
0: You know, they also can't pay the other businesses they that they use as a platform to conduct transactions. Right. So, so there's a lot of clothing companies that you Shopify that have nothing to do so now, with that bank. So now you've got tens of
1: thousands of people that don't get their paychecks. That's correct. They can't then pay their bills. Um, so, the, so you would send this massive ripple effect through the economy that was. it's probably even more significant than we could try to... Explain here, sitting here. Oh,
0: it would have been the collapse so of a
1: system. It, it would, would have be. been a, a a significant failure to not have made them whole with respect to the deposits. Now, the people that invest in the bank, you know, unfortunately, that's that's an investment gone bad mm-hmm. at this point. Which is, you know, generally speaking, I think you would say, okay, um, bank stocks maybe are not the most lucrative investments that you could make, but but also not risky to the extent where you wouldn't expect your, your yeah, investment to go to that's zero. That's correct. Exactly. So you would think, you know, you generally think banking stock's pretty safe investments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously not the case
0: here. Well, and the other thing to take into consideration is, you know, I heard you say earlier, this caused fear and this caused concerns of, is, is there other banks like this out there happening? And I think with the Fed stepping in with that buyback program, that's going to help alleviate those fears. But the one thing we know is that the stock market doesn't like fear it likes certainty, it doesn't like uncertainty. So I think one of the things that's actually going to take a complete hit. And I mean, it's like, it's going to take the front brunt of this is gonna be stock market. And it can't seem to make up its mind today. It's all over the place. Um, it's excited. Yep. And then it's not. And then it's like, Oh, my gosh, let's get back there. And then Oh, no, something's wrong again. And it's been like that really since the weekend, because the futures and everything have implicated that. And here we are today with 300 point swings within the hour up and down. So it's still very volatile, because they can't find that certainty in the market and what's going on. And I think to your point, every news station, every outlet, there's something new coming out that's unfolding every single hour on the hour about this situation and i yep. think until the dust settles you know i think the stock market is going to be the one that kind of catches the brunt of this until we kind of make our way through this here
1: well the other thing is you know as far as what is is one bank more susceptible than another i think that one major component of that is you talk about taking in deposits reinvesting that money well what were they reinvesting it in you know correct i don't think that the federal reserve the federal government wants banks investing in cryptocurrency no. You know, but if you've got a, a one, one bank over here that's investing a significantly larger amount of money into something more speculative like cryptocurrency, are they then more susceptible to something like this happening than maybe a bank that's, you know, in safer investments? Whereas, you know, I think that a lot of what did Silicon Valley in was their bond portfolio. So you mm-hmm. would say, maybe not necessarily risky in what they were investing in, but I think that maybe their outlook on the economy, you know, may be caused them to invest money a little bit differently than maybe they should have.
0: Yeah, I think I know where you're going with that. So if I hear you correctly, you know, if we just do the simple math here, if they were a $209 billion asset and they had over $120 billion in bonds... I mean, they had over 50% of their assets and bonds. That's not diversifying. Somebody would even say no matter what administration you're going through, no matter what economy you're in, that might not be the best idea. And I think another ironic thing you pointed out right before the show, which I thought was great, is the chief administration officer for, um, for SVB was also the chief, admin, excuse me, CFO for? Lehman Brothers. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a great resume. So you're oh, at Lehman you. Brothers, the largest bank collapse in the world. And somehow you're a CAO and you just collapsed the SEC. We well, were part of the second bank collapsing, which is kind of ironic when you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think his resume is going to be sitting out there for a little while. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then you take a look at the CEO. What I think his name's Greg. Uh, you take a look at the CEO, Greg. Um, I have not put down here. Greg Becker. I didn't realize he was part of the Federal Reserve, the former Fed person in uh, San Francisco as part of the San Francisco Federal Reserve. He was a member of that.
1: Well, I think what's more um, interesting about that whole thing is I believe that uh, this, the CFO sold his his stock or a, a large portion of his stock while it was still pretty elevated. Yeah. Um, so definitely not a good look from that standpoint to, to you, you got to think if you're selling that amount of stock, you're probably seeing the writing on the wall. Um, as well as
0: issued thousands of bonus dollars hours before the Federal Reserve yep. and FDIC shut it down. Correct. Yep. So not a good look there, and I think that's what leaves a sour taste in people's mouths. Um, another reason I think the FDIC had to make everyone whole, which is you know we're glad they did that. You know, but this poses the question: Is the Fed now going to back up and punt on their policy and say, "Listen, we're going to pump take an idea of QE." quantitative easing. We've been in quantitative tightening for quite some time. Are we going to see this come back to where they say, okay, they may even have to reduce rates to offset what's going on right now because if there is a large bond issue looming out there and people have done that, what you've seen today is we've seen a massive sell-off in the bond market. And the reason that would be happening is that people are covering their risk right now because they may be holding some bonds at some higher price rates. And they're like, you know what, now that we're here, sell them. Sell them when the price comes down, like you said, a massive fall off a cliff today. Let's sell the higher price ones we have. offset some of our losses that we're holding here at two and a half or two, seven, five. Like it kind of shows you some exposure rates are being covered out there today, which is good to see. But I want to take a minute to talk about the importance of the inverted 210 yield treasury curve. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about this for quite some time, especially over the last three years with Market Distillery. Take a minute to explain to the audience what that is and then the importance of what that means.
1: Well, I mean, the yield curve, the the basic logic is the longer that I have to tie up my money, the greater of a return I should get on that money because if I have to invest my money for 10 years as opposed to six months... Well, there's a lot of things, there's a lot more that could happen in 10 years that could impact my return. percent. So, typically speaking, my return would be greater on a longer term investment. Mm-hmm. When the yield curve inverts, essentially the opposite happens where I can invest my money in a shorter duration investment and get a greater return than I can on a longer term investment. And um, so the yield curve has been inverted for quite some time. It's, it's generally a recessionary indicator. And, you know, if, um, if I'm investing my money um, long term, at that point, I'm saying, okay, well, if I can lock in a 10-year treasury at 4%, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if the money flocks to that longer end of that yield curve and drives that, re- that return down, the, the concern there is, okay, well, interest rates are, are, if we go into a recession, interest rates are going to come down. Correct. So yes, I can invest money at six in, in a six-month treasury at a higher interest rate, but after six months, my return is going to be way lower because rates are going to come down. So the money's flocking at the at the tail end of the yield curve and, mm-hmm. and bringing those yields down. So now I'm now I'm theoretically I'm getting less money on longer-term bonds than I would be on shorter-term bonds. So um, you know that's that is what an inverted yield curve is, and and generally. It's a recessionary indicator. Correct. And people are anticipating interest rates to come down
0: in the near future. And you know, when you say generally, you mean every single Correct. time Gen- it's been inverted. We don't mean generally, you mean every single time it's been inverted. A 12 to 18 month lag of a recession happens. We inverted in December of 2020. We came out of it. Most inversions are very limited in the space of which it happens. It's like, it's called yield control curve. It, it pops right back up. But in this case, with what the Federal Reserve has had to do so quick, so fast, this thing's been inverted for how long now? Close to like almost 45 days. Like this a is a long inversion and it's curve. it's getting greater. It's getting greater and deeper in the curve there, which is <clears throat> causing concerns. And when you have the market, which the market that is actually producing the prices on these these buys of the two-year treasuries and the six month and the one year and the 30-day – when you're seeing greater value of returns in that shorter space than you are in the longer term notes, that's telling you that the market thinks there's turmoil in the short term. The market is telling you we anticipate more risk in the short term than we do the long term. And that's not where you want to be, by the way. We Correct. need to get out of this inversion pretty quickly. And, yep. and that inversion applied further downward pressure on a bank like SVB. So that's another thing where the Federal Reserve um, just has just, you know. I think Dan was on our show on episode nine, Dan Habib, and he said the Federal Reserve right now is handling the economy like a shower when you walk into it and you turn it all the way to hot when you first get in there, and then you recognize holy cow, this is steaming hot. It's going to burn me. And then you shift it all the way back to cold and then it's freezing cold. It's just a natural tendency to switch the pendulum from the that. I thought that was a perfect description. And when we see something like this happening right now, we're we're on the edge of, okay, are they going to move that hot water to cold water real, quiet, real quick? Is that what's going to happen? You know, is that, is that where we're at? Right. You know, that's that idea of going back to QE. Well,
1: and you, you created the inflation problem over a decade of zero interest rate mm-hmm. ZERP, you know? and it's it's naive to think okay we're going to raise rates by a little bit doesn't work after 1 month okay let's raise them again you know it took it took a decade to create the problem and now you're expecting to solve it with you know rate hikes within a 12 month time frame or even in this case you know they've really done all this within a mm-hmm. 6 month time frame really so um you know like you said i mean just just fitting with your analogy you know you're not going to fix this by continuing to jack rates up and jack rates up and hoping for immediate relief, you're going to have to increase rates, assess over a longer period of time, and then make a decision. And that just hasn't been what's been happening. That's just been a constant push for more, 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 and then... Look, you know, look, look at the the consequences here. Right.
0: It's been a gluttony of it. So let's, let's start, let's end the show with some questions because we've talked about this all weekend. um, And, you know, I think we've talked about it till the people around us are tired of hearing about it, but this is kind of like a thing to us. So we're trying to like digest this and understand the risk assessment in this. Are we kicking the can down the road for further inflation? Did we literally just put this whole country through a series of rate hikes and and pain that was involved um, in the economy? And now are we just gonna kick the can down the road and say, okay, due to a potential, you know, failure that happened, not a potential it did happen, second largest bank. We've got a problem. We've got to hit the pause button and now we're gonna go back into easing, or are we gonna see this kind of like stagflation over the remaining portion of the next three, four, five years?
1: Well, I definitely think you're kicking the can down the road. Yeah. I especially do if you reverse course and you subsequently start to lower interest rates. Yeah. You're definitely kicking the can down the road because you haven't solved the problem, right? That's right. And that could also contribute to stagflation. Right. The inflation's not going anywhere. And as much as the feds want to say that they're committed to fighting inflation, they're committed to fighting inflation as long as they're not creating a greater burden or problem by fighting inflation. Agreed. And the day that that begins, and this very well may be the, the beginning of it, but the day that that, that it becomes more harm than uh, than it is to just simply fight inflation is when they're going to have to reverse course. So, so yes, I think that Uh, you're absolutely kicking the can down the road. And I think that this could
0: absolutely mean more inflation over a longer period of time, without a doubt. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you said it perfectly there. And you know, the reality is this, um, the Fed's target rate's 2%. We're nowhere near that right now. There could be a report that comes out tomorrow, as you suggested, which makes that a little bit even worse. Um, And the other thing is this, is that the target rate being at two, that sounds great. But I mean, let's be more realistic with that. Four would be better than where we're at now, right? Um, so there's a lot of other things we could get to to make it better. But when we hit the pause button, we being um, the Federal Reserve, I'm saying it like I'm part of it, but when the Federal Reserve hits the pause button, that's going to create additional inflation, especially with the money that's being pumped back into the system now. And this creates a further burden on the uh, American people. So the other question I was going to ask you was- Well, can I just say one more yeah, thing on, right on
1: the note of- I think that what we've learned here was what we already knew, um, mm. at least we already knew. But listen, the Fed can't solve this if the only solution is messing messing with interest rates. That's you the, know, the only thing the, they got. The, the the pendulum of raising and lowering interest rates is not going to fight inflation. That's I was correct. Listen to something this morning, and and um, they were basically talking about that. And and you know the other flip side of the coin is, you know, you would have to make some budget cuts from a fiscal standpoint really to fight inflation and this particular person's argument was well they have because there's no more stimulus (laughs) Um, and and it's just funny because the stimulus was was like fuel on the fire you You still have the government spending more money than they're bringing in Mm -hmm. and until that stops you know the we've learned that the feds are not going to to curb inflation by just jacking interest rates That's up. Correct. There's too much that could go wrong in that equation. Mm-hmm. It would have to be supplemented with some uh, con- with with some fiscal policy that was mirroring what they're trying to do which is to contract the economy.
0: Well, let's talk about that fiscal policy. I think you're referring to, they're going to raise taxes. That's what would have to happen to offset yeah. this. And that's taxes across all class. You're just not going to say, hey, we're going to tax There's There's not enough money there to offset what's going on. You've also got, um, I'm going to be very unpopular for this one, but social security is a huge drain. On the 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 economic system, and you know, some call it a Ponzi scheme, some call it retirement. I'm not going to lean towards either side, but that is a budget that at some point is going to have to be faced and taken a look at. Of okay, can we maintain that with some of the debt and some of the deficiencies we have? And that's we, you know, the the administrations, not just this one, but lots of administrations have put us in that position with the spending that you're referring to. We've spent so much money that at some point, you know, it's going to catch up with you, and that's where we are.
1: When you look at inflation, I mean, look at Social Security benefits. They adjust for inflation. Correct. So we have this massive inflation last year, and now all of these people on Social Security get more money, which mm-hmm. I'm not here to say that... We're not saying it's a bad I'm thing. Not We're not just pointing out a fact. Right, now you're getting different. more based on inflationary adjustment. Correct. So now you've got even more inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, yes, you have to you have to get more revenue mm-hmm. or you have to decrease spending or some combination of those to really start to to get the economy to slow down. And and you're not getting that. You're just just making it more expensive to borrow, but everything else is pointing in the direction of expansionary policy
0: Mm -hmm. other than simply just trying to raise interest rates. That's correct. And when we take a look at that tax situation that I'm referring to, here's interesting. We know next year is an election year. There's no way— there is no way that the current administration, and I don't blame them, they're not going to sit there and raise taxes right now. I wouldn't do it either if I had an election year coming up and I'm going to run again for office. That's—it'll It'll come up during the debates, right? And each side will tell us what they think they're going to do, and then what they do later is how it will unfold. But the reality is there's no way you want to raise taxes right now. And so you're not going to address the problem. You're going to pacify the problem right now. And pacifying the problem is telling the American people what they want to hear and then doing something else later on. Great example would be the oil drilling that was going to be stopped, and I believe today we saw an announcement where they're actually going to resume and start another area, and that's not going over very well right now. So I think that that's just an example of things that happen.
1: Well, nobody's going to vote for the greater good, you know. If somebody if somebody <laughs> if somebody runs on a campaign of "I'm going to fix the entire country's budget deficit and our inflation problem," well, you're not going to get elected uh, by you know individual person because they don't care about the country's inflation problem as a whole. They care about you running on the pretense of them paying more in taxes. So you're never going to get votes Uh, with, you know, contractionary policy, which, so it's it's really... (laughs) You know, i.e. No, Ross Perot, by no, the way. No, That's no, how he ran. No, he ran on that exact
0: format you're talking and, about. And
1: nobody wants to go first when That's it right. comes to trying to 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 solve this. No one wants to be the first one to say, well, this is what I think we should cut. Boom, you just lost a large <laughs> subset of voters when yeah. you say that. So no nobody wants to go first. So it's it's you know
0: There's I mean, a lot of people that aren't gonna remember this, but Ross Perot ran with charts about the budget and he had pie charts and how he was going to reduce it. And he was a hit. He was a hit. He just didn't win, but he took away votes from one party because of the party in which he ran on. But he specifically came at the American public and he's a you know billionaire, paid for his own commercials and took a lot of air time. <laughs> he had a lot of air time with the pie charts, but he had a plan to eliminate it. I don't know that it would have worked, but I know even at a young age, I remember seeing, I'm like, man, this this guy is talking crazy numbers up there. And I couldn't digest it or understand it, but he did run that way. I will fix the national deficit because he was doing do exactly what you said. And he didn't win to your point. Correct. The greater good did not win. It wasn't even in the game. (laughs) So as we always like to end the show, if you're a buyer in this market, if you're a seller in this market, if you're a real estate agent, if you're a lender, you know, we have been indicating why we thought rates would come down. Now, we thought something would break. It's unfortunate it happened. I am glad all the depositors are being made hold on this. So I, I don't feel as bad for it breaking. But to say that we saw something like this unraveling, I'm gonna go back to an analogy that we use. Fishing with dynamite is what the Federal Reserve has been doing. And when you go fishing in the ocean with dynamite, you know, when the smaller fish pop up, I'm not saying that's not a big deal, but when a whale comes up, and SVB is a whale, when it comes and rises up, now there's no more fishing with dynamite, you've made a problem, you've made a huge mistake, a massive mistake. So this okay. is kind of where we are right now. The fishing with dynamite has to stop at this point. So with that being said, How does this impact buyers and sellers right now in the now?
1: I think that, you know, specifically, first and foremost for buyers, well, now you've got an opportunity where interest rates are going to come down, affordability is going to improve. Um, If you are a seller right now, well, you're already coming into the spring months where most people want to get their home on the market. Mm -hmm. That coinciding with uh, interest rates coming down, it's probably looking like a much better time to sell your house if interest rates... Come down another quarter to half percent, and you know, that that's going to bring a lot of a lot more buyers into the market. Sure. So, we just literally had talked about a week ago. Good opportunity for, for buyers right now to to get in here before rates come down and and the and prices
0: accelerate. Well, now this At, might the, have even the demand comes in right because everybody wants to jump in on this, which Cor- is going to lead to your next point. Correct.
1: Down. So now we've just we've just accelerated that where I think that you're going to see a lot more buyers coming into the market. They're going to Mm -hmm. see interest rates coming down. It just so happens to come in with peak season of when homes are going on the market. So I think that you could see in the short term, home prices increase. I think you could see a lot of activity increase over the course of the next six months. Now, long-term, is this a good thing uh, to have to fix this problem? No, but short-term, the housing market may very well be the beneficiary of that with some further strength.
0: Yeah. Do you see this kind of almost like a COVID accelerator moment for this market? Do you see the opportunity where buyers flock that say, you know what? I missed that opportunity or maybe I need to refinance. I can take advantage of that now because we're not going to get back in the twos. That's not what's going to happen here. I want to paint that picture for everyone. But there's a high probability we get back into the fives. And then if you use some of those suggestions that you've been talking about on the course of the last six months, and the sellers work with you on that, you very well could have your rate down in the low fours, maybe even the upper threes, if you're getting those permanent buy downs or even operating on a 2-1 buy down.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I think that, that this is an opportunity where buyers are going to come in and, and take advantage of rates and sellers will also be the beneficiary of more demand, more people interested in their home. Presumably prices, you know, will start to uptick as well. So mm-hmm. something that we've been talking about, this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, we just didn't anticipate that something like this would necessarily be what accelerated it. We thought this could happen, but we more so thought that that inflation coming down over a longer time horizon would be kind of what accelerated this. Correct. Um, but now, you know, the Fed has gone and, and broken something that, that I think that has accelerated this to a point where the spring months and summer months may be, Exactly kind of what we thought that they could be in much hotter months than we've seen over the course of the last six to eight months.
0: Does this speak to how fragile the banking system is? I often I I think we know the answer, but I think our audience would say, is this just mean the banking system's that fragile that it could collapse overnight?
1: I think it's more so a sign of how fragile the economy is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, because you look at, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank doesn't happen if there isn't a run on the bank. Correct. Right, they're they're gonna figure it out, and they're gonna they're gonna raise that
0: capital. They're still, gonna need more than twenty four hours to review the financials, they're, but they're gonna raise that. They're capital.
1: They're still gonna be here. What what happened was the absolute chaos that ensued is what did them in. Yeah, you know,
0: and and the chaos was stemmed from the ability to communicate with the social media outlets. And I think there was quite a few people that went to social media and put some um, uh, how can I say, some maybe not responsible commentary on there. And I think that got taken way out of proportion. And I do think there'll be repercussions for that because you can't cause it's 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 borderline. There are some issues with you creating a run on the bank. if 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 Daniel, if you had a position for that bank to fail, and you took to Twitter and encouraged people to get the things out based on what you're thinking so that you have financial gain. You're, there's a problem with that. And those problems are eventually going to show up. Right. And We're hearing more and more about that. But there are some people going back to the beginning of this conversation that shorted that bank in the stock market that also took to Twitter and encouraged people to go get their money out. And a bank run happened. And who's the direct beneficiary of that? Those same people that wrote that right. made a tremendous amount of money. That's a little bit of manipulation. That's going to show up later on as, as we start to unfold. There will be people that have to pay the piper, per se, for that, because you can't do that. You can't yeah. create pandemonium and false narrative and hysteria because of uh, your own wanting to better your own pocketbook there. That's a great may. point, yeah. So, all right, well, last thing I'll leave you with here, where can they get your contact information and find out more about you and Bank of England? Well,
1: you can visit Bank of England on our website, boejax.com. You can give our team a call at 904-992-1000. Uh, and those are really the two best ways to find us. Yeah.
0: Guys, I tell you what, if you like what you're hearing here, we're going to do more of this. We're going to keep a close eye because I know more is going to come from this story than what we just talked about today, but we want to get this out share what we've been studying all weekend, what we've been talking about. If you like this, please share this podcast. Follow us at Apple Podcasts, five-star rate us and leave us a review. And also check us out on all of our socials at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and also on TikTok at What's Your One More with the number one. Thanks again for being on the show, Daniel.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take
0: it. I meant it when I said it now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live so I put them all into it, yeah